Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome, I'm your host, Tony D'Urso. I interview some of the most successful people in the world, and I thank you for joining us. This show is dedicated to helping you turn your vision into reality. And here's a successful entrepreneur who provides insights and guidance you can use to move along your vision path. And you can listen to all of my shows on most podcast platforms. If you have Apple Podcasts, aka iTunes, please subscribe. Now, before we get going, here's a big thank you to some amazing sponsors of our show. Please stay tuned for an important message from LinkedIn on how the right hire can make a huge impact on your business. Hey, I said huge. Do listen for that. Coming up is a significant message from Remrise and take their sleep quiz to help you sleep really good. More on that shortly. And a special note to help you find your message and build your tribe. I want to give you Russell Brunson's book for free through the mail. More info on them just ahead, so please stay tuned. Today's show is with J.G. Faherty, multi-award nominated horror author. Let's see what we can learn today. Here's some info on J.G. His paranormal thriller, The Cure, was a finalist for the 2015 Bram Stoker Award for Superior Achievement in a Novel. And his young adult paranormal romance, The Ghosts of Coronado Bay, was a finalist for the coveted Bram Stoker Award for Young Adult Horror in 2011. In addition, his supernatural thriller, The Burning Time, was a finalist for the ITW Thriller Award in 2013. Both The Burning Time and The Ghosts of Coronado Bay earned Reader's Choice five-star awards. Now, at the end of this interview, I'm going to do a summary recap of what we went over. So stay tuned for that. Here we go. Welcome to the show, JG. So great to have you on with us today. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. The honor is all mine. I am a writer, nonfiction, and believe it or not, I am not a horror reader, nor do I watch horror movies. I don't think I've ever watched a horror movie. It's not my interest. Now, nonetheless, JG, and I want to make it very clear, I marvel at your amazing success, and it goes to show, especially to my dear audience visionaries, you can do anything you like and be wildly successful if you follow your vision and stay on purpose. And we're going to jump into JG and follow his journey to success. So with no further ado, JG, can you tell us how did it all start for you? What's your backstory? Well, you know, it's pretty interesting. I wanted to be a writer when I was young. And by young, I'm talking 12, 11 years old. And I dabbled a little bit. I I did what kids do. I wrote comics and things like that, but I never really gave it a thought until college. And I was a huge horror fan all my life. I grew up on the Universal Monsters and Edgar Allan Poe, Shelley, Stoker, all of these kind of classics. And in college, I was reading Stephen King and, you know, the contemporaries at that time. I tried my hand at writing and I knew nothing about the business. You know, I mean, this was the early 80s. There really wasn't a, there was no internet, so there was no business that I could really be aware of. I didn't know about editors. I didn't know about first drafts, second drafts, anything like that. So I wrote three chapters of what I thought was a great horror novel, 
And then when I read it back to myself, I said, wow, compared to Stephen King, I'm terrible. This isn't me. I can't do it. And I stopped. And I never gave it another thought until probably about 2001, 2002, when I had a part-time job writing test preparation guides for the Princeton Review. And I was writing the English guides for the third grade, fourth grade, and fifth grade. Part of that involved writing fantasy reading passages, and then you would write the questions for them. And I really enjoyed it, and it came naturally to me. So I tried my hand at a short story, and I came really, really close to getting into an anthology. And the editor of the anthology emailed me and said, look, you didn't get in, but you've got a real talent for this. You should keep at it. So I did. And a year later, I had my first short story published. I did short stories for several years. And then in 2010, my first novel was published. That is quite something. Let's kind of go back into this. Did you have a vision of where you saw yourself going? Because you've won or you've been a finalist in some of the most prestigious awards around. What was that vision? What brought about that success? Or you just were... And you obviously weren't just winging it. You, you had some sort of an, a concept or an idea of where you were going to go. Well, I, I would love to say that I started off with that kind of concept, but I really didn't because, again, I knew nothing about the industry. I just jumped in blindly. And I was lucky enough, I lived near New York City, and there were, at the time, a few horror conventions for writers, not, for, um, not like Comic-Con, but these are just where writers get together. And there are panels and discussions and uh, things like that. And I got to meet some of the really big names in the business and sit down with them. And they kind of took me under their wing and told me what publishing was involved, what uh, editing involved, who to submit to if you're writing this type of book versus that type of book. And from listening to them, I kind of got an idea like, all right, this is how I want my career to go. I want my career to follow in their footsteps in terms of the steps that they took and not necessarily writing the same type of books as them or anything like that, but just creating a block, stepping up on top of that block and then putting another block down and stepping up on that and climbing that ladder and just getting better. And each year, my goal is to do something better than the, the previous year. And so far, it's working. So I guess that's my career path is, you could say, it's look forward. And my end goal is just to always get better at what I'm doing. You know, you can't say my goal is to win this award or that award, or my goal is to sell X number of books, because if it doesn't happen, then all of a sudden you would start to feel like a failure because, oh, I didn't achieve my goal. Well, my goal isn't a specific number. It's just to be better this year than I was last year. Everything else after that falls in place. I can totally see how that helps you bring more and more stories and do better and better. I think that's a great vision. And I interviewed once, I've interviewed someone who's very well known in the world as a writer. And this person's purpose is simply just to entertain and nothing but entertain. And I just thought that was so interesting because this person does it so well. He's, he's a major New York Times bestseller. What's your purpose for this? 
Um, I would say that that is definitely one of my purposes. I do like to get my stories out there and into the hands of readers and provide them with some entertainment. Growing up, I loved to read. I loved it more than television. I loved it more than movies. I still do. And I want to bring that kind of experience to other people. I want them reading books. I want them to sit down and take whatever it is, two hours, six hours, three days, you know, some people read faster than others, to just immerse themselves in my characters and my stories. And, you know, it's an escape from the real world. And it, even though it's scaring them, perhaps, it's also bringing them some joy, some happiness. JG, I mentioned earlier that I don't watch horror flicks, horror movies, read but it came to me that I did see a movie called Ghost Rider years back with Nicolas Cage because I was into comics and I thought it would be interesting. I didn't know anything of what it was like. And I happened to notice that you have a book coming out, a novel called Hell Rider. Now, the cover of that looks very similar. And I know I'm kind of going off a little bit, but I wanted to correct myself and also ask, could you tell us a little bit about What's the difference between Ghost Rider and Hell Rider? <laughs> it's funny that you bring that up. When I wrote the book and pitched the concept to my editor at the publishing house, that was his first concern, too, was that, is this going to be just like Ghost Rider? Because I had not only the story, but we already, just based on the story, I was already developing the cover concept in my head that I wanted them to kind of use. And, you know, that's a big worry, not only because... You never want to step on infringement issues, but you also, you want to be original. And Ghost Rider and Hell Rider, while they might sound the same, and they both deal with a motorcycle rider, that's kind of where the similarities end. Hell Rider is about a motorcycle gang member who tries to go straight. And when he does that, the members of his gang murder him in a very violent way. And he's always had a bad temper, and his temper is so great that it kind of allows him to come back from the dead as a ghost. And he makes it his mission to take revenge on all the people that killed him. In the process, he kind of goes a little insane. So he's not the hero the way Ghost Rider is in the comics. He's not an avenging superhero. He's avenging, but he's a madman. And he's actually the antagonist of the story rather than the protagonist. So the story follows two paths. One, you're watching this person who started off with great intentions slowly go mad. And it's sort of a take on the old ultimate power corrupts ultimately. He has these supernatural powers as a ghost. He can possess people. He can call down lightning. He can do a few other things. And as his power grows, his madness grows. And the only people in town that know that this is happening are his little brother and the brother's girlfriend. And so you've got a love story forming at the same time that they're coming together to try and stop. You know, he's got to basically find a way to destroy his own brother. So there's a lot of subplots there that work through. And it was a lot of fun to write. It's very grindhouse. If you think Quentin Tarantino with ghosts, you'd have a good idea of what the book is like. That's really something. JG, where do you get your ideas from this? You've written so many books. That is a very unique story. 
where do these come from, these, these ideas? You know, it's funny. As a writer, you get that question a lot, and it's easy to answer, and it's hard to answer. The easy answer is they come from anywhere. I've had books come to me in dreams. I've had books and stories come to me because I'm listening to a certain song, or I'm watching a TV show or a movie, and I say, wow. If this happened instead of that, the plot would go in a completely different direction. It would be a new story. That would be cool to write. I wrote a book for teenagers. It's called Ghosts of Coronado Bay. And the idea for that came to me. I was watching a commercial for a show that's not on TV anymore that was called The Ghost Whisperer. And it was about a woman who can see ghosts. And she tries to help them move on by solving their problems, whatever problems they still have in this life. Nobody else can see the ghost but her. And I thought, what if she could not only see the ghosts, but if she touched them, they became solid and everybody could see them. And nobody even knew they were ghosts. So that became the basis for a whole YA novel. So, you know, things can come out. I wrote it. I've written several short stories just listening to songs. And you hear a song, um, my, my novel, The Burning Time, I got the idea listening to a song by John Fogarty called The Old Man Down the Road. And the song is, you know, it's upbeat and, and fun, but the lyrics are kind of creepy. This old man coming into town, snakeskin boots, what's in his suitcase? And I got the idea that this guy is some kind of dark magician coming into the town to destroy the town. And a couple of years after it came out, a little side note, I got to meet John Fogarty at his book signing. And I gave him a copy of the book and I dedicated the book to him inside. I said, this is based on a song you wrote. Without you, I couldn't have written this book. And he was really thrilled about it. We got to talk for a few minutes. That is so cool. He's been one of my favorite musicians growing up. And that is really a cool story. I thank you so much for sharing that. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues with J.G. Faherty, multi-award-nominated horror author. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Pause for commercial and delete this. Hiring the right person takes time, time that you often don't have. Urgency can be your enemy when it comes to finding candidates that are truly meant for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. There's a number of great features on the LinkedIn Jobs platform. First, you can instantly see what applicants see. You can see what other companies are looking for, what qualifications they need, perks or benefits that may be available, and so forth. You can use this to strategize your job posting so that you know what your applicants may be looking for or what they may be enticed by. I recommend looking at other job postings in the LinkedIn Jobs platform. Then go to linkedin.com slash Tony to post your job because you'll save there by using my special URL. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for so you can hire the right person fast. Things like collaboration, creativity, adaptability, LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and puts your job post in front of qualified candidates who match your business requirements perfectly. That's how LinkedIn makes sure your job post is seen by the people you want to hire, people with the skills, 
qualifications, and other interests that will help your business grow. It's no wonder a person is hired every eight seconds with LinkedIn and why companies rated LinkedIn Jobs the number one hiring platform for delivering quality hires. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash Tony. Again, that's linkedin.com slash Tony to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Let's spell that out. L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash T-O-N-Y. All right, guys, check it out, sign up, and tell me how much you love it. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Let's see what we can learn today. Today's show is with J.G. Faherty, multi-award-nominated horror author. At the end of this interview, I'll give you a summary of what I got out of this, and I'll share some pointers with you. Stay tuned for that. J.G.'s works range from quiet, dark suspense to over-the-top comic gruesomeness. A fan of horror and science fiction since he was able to change the channel on the TV, one of his earliest memories is seeing Planet of the Apes and Night of the Living Dead as a double feature at the drive-in with his parents. Do you remember drive-ins? All right. And now back to the chat with J.G. What was his reaction, by the way? Not just meet you, but to see a whole book dedicated to one of his creations where that came out that spawned from one of his creations. I like to think that he was really excited about it. I mean, he, he seemed thrilled. He was like, oh my God, thank you so much. And, you know, at a book signing, you know, there was a long line. And he's a big star. There was, you know, dozens and dozens of people waiting there. And you were only supposed to hand the book, get the signature, pose for a picture and move on. So you had like 20 seconds with him. Well, he stopped the whole signing and stood up and we talked for a few minutes off to the side about it. So I like to think that he was really excited. I hope he read it. I didn't give him a business card or my email or anything like that. And he never looked me up online, but... You didn't exchange information because I was going to say, I'd love to interview him. And one of the questions would be about that moment as well. You know, someday I hope to be able to talk to him about it. I do know a few people in the rock industry, but... We don't have mutual friends where I could like get uh, an email or a note or something to John and say, hey, did you ever read that book? What did you think? For all I know, his manager took it and threw it somewhere and he never had a chance to read it. Or maybe he loved it and he just doesn't use social media. Who knows? Or third idea here, maybe someday you'll hear a song about it. (laughs) That would be great. JG, this is really interesting. And, and again, I mean no slight when I say it, the horror has just not been one of my things. However, again, it's a huge industry and it keeps growing and growing and growing and more and more movies. There's more and more books and films and so forth. Why do you think the genre is growing and has remained so popular? Well, I think there's two reasons. Number one, maybe even three reasons. Number one, people like to be scared. Now, the reasons people like to be scared are different depending on the person. For some people, it's a release of, you know, tension or their own inner fears. You know, you're worried about the economy, your relative that has cancer, your job, whatever it might be. Well, you go and you watch a scary movie for a couple of hours. It allows you to release all those emotions without actually having to deal with the problems that they're based on. If you look throughout, I don't want to say history, but recent history, the 1940s till now, let's say, 
whenever the economy or the political climate has been particularly troublesome, horror has experienced a big boom. So in the 1950s, when everybody was worried about communism and the atomic bomb, you had all those science fiction movies like them with the giant ants that were created from atomic testing, movies about giant tarantulas, Godzilla, King Kong, you know, in the years before that, but they became popular again in the 50s. It was people dealing with their fears in a certain way. In the 60s and the 70s, horror kind of diminished. It wasn't really popular. You had a lot of mysteries. You had a lot of thrillers, but not horror movies with supernatural monsters. And then in the late 70s, all of a sudden, the world started changing again. And what people were reading and what people were watching in the movies changed too. You had Rosemary's Baby. You had The Exorcist. You had Jaws. And then... 79, boom, Stephen King hit the book racks. And the next thing you know, horror was everywhere. And then in the late 80s and the 90s, when the economy was just going, you know, gangbusters and everybody had money and it was just a party every place, horror diminished. You had some silly comedies like blood-sucking freaks and weird things like that that were just geared towards teenagers. But you didn't have real deep thought type of horror coming out. And the book market for horror crashed. And it wasn't until about 2000 when it started picking up again, which again, coinciding with issues starting to happen with the economy and with politics. JG, very interesting on how horror has made this amazing comeback. But I want to call you out on a statement that I know you've made somewhere And I would love you to explain that you said that horror is the one genre that can encompass all the others. Can you please explain that? Yes, I'm happy to, because I'll actually be teaching about that next July at a writer's retreat. Horror is one of the basic genres that there are, because fear is one of the basic emotions. If you think about it, you've got Fear, comedy, humor, and romance. And that's really every, every story is built around those in some way. So if you look at horror being entwined with everything else, like you mentioned earlier that you don't read horror, you don't watch horror. My wife says the same thing. My mother's not a big fan of horror in general. Uh, a lot of my friends say they don't like it. But in a way, they all watch it and they all read it. Have you ever seen the movie Alien? Yes, you're right. That's horror, of course. You know, I don't think of it. You know why? And it's and it's my fault totally. It's the it's a what is it? It's a preconceived notion. It's you know, I'm thinking of blood and knives and things like what was that movie back then? The the movie at the motel? Things like that. Oh yeah, Um, the Bates Motel with Alfred Hitchcock. I'm thinking of that with horror. But when you say Movies like Alien, that is actually also horror. So I actually stand corrected. Horror is more out there than we think. Maybe we just have different labels on it. Sure. I mean, like I said, it entwines with everything. The object of horror is to make you feel fear or send a chill up your spine. And it can be found in any genre. So Aliens is a great example of horror and science fiction. 
so is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Everybody says Mary Shelley created the science fiction novel, but really what she created was the science fiction slash horror novel, because part of the object of Frankenstein is to scare you. Look at fantasy. A lot of Tolkien's works, a lot of George R.R. R. Martin's works, they're fantasy. They've got elves and dragons and everything else, but they're also dark and scary in many places. You wouldn't want your five-year-old kid to watch Game of Thrones, you know, because there's murder, there's monsters, there's mayhem. So there's horror there. If you want to go into, like, the thriller category, Michael Crichton with the Andromeda strain, that's a science fiction thriller, but it's also meant to scare you. And he did the same thing when he wrote Jurassic Park. So it's in all of these different areas. You can find it in Westerns. You can find it in romance. I mean, gothic romance, castles and ghosts and chains rattling. That's horror. You are so right. If there's an element of scare or fear, that actually qualifies that work as a horror piece. Sure. And that's why, you know, a lot of times, you know, you'll see horror subcategorize science fiction horror. Uh, it's a horror thriller. It's a mystery horror. Paranormal romance is actually horror because you know, it's got werewolves and vampires in it. You know, you could categorize horror into really any genre and you can split it and split it and split it again. At what point does a, a murder mystery or a thriller become horror or what at what point isn't it? Uh, a long time ago, I was at a convention long time ago, like eight or nine years ago, not decades. Do you know, um, you've heard of Gillian Flynn who wrote Gone Girl? No, I'm sorry, I haven't. Okay, um, it was a book that she wrote and it became a, a movie, a best-selling movie with um, Ben Affleck a few years ago. And it's, it's basically a murder mystery. That's all it is. But it's scary. Some of the things that happen in the book is even scarier than the, the uh, movie is. Gillian herself... I mean, here she was at a horror convention telling us, I don't read horror and I don't write horror. I don't think of it that way. She goes, but my publisher says it's horror because it scares people. She goes, I can't watch those movies. I hate blood. I hate guts. But yet she's writing what gets categorized as horror. So there's so much blending of the genres. There's so much overlap. But horror is the one universal that could be found in any of them. Because you can have horror without romance. But you can't have a gothic romance without horror. JG, do you feel or do you, what do you see the future in this? Do you see a lot more horror? Do you see it dominating the market? Are we just looking at, you know, when we go into our Barnes and Noble or our bookstore, are we just seeing the tip of the iceberg? Is there a flood coming after this? I think the flood is already hitting. Right now, horror is huge. And a lot of that has to do with ebooks and Amazon because they've paved the way for so many small publishers to get books out there for independent writers to self-publish. It used to be that if you weren't published from the, you know, big five publishing houses in New York, odds are you really probably weren't going to get published. There was a couple of smaller press companies around, but not many. Now there's a lot of them. And even more than that are the people doing the self-publishing. There are entire companies that only publish ebooks. They don't even bother with print. And 
what this is allowing people to do is there are some people that don't publish novels. They only publish short stories. Only a few anthologies of short stories come out a year. So what you can do is you can just publish your own short story on Amazon and just sell that one story. This is J.G. Ferretti, multi-award nominated horror author. You can find him at jgferretti.com. I'm going to spell that. That's J-G-F-A-H-E-R-T-Y.com. J.G. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues with J.G. Faherty, multi-award nominated horror author. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Pause for commercial and delete this. Some people have trouble falling asleep. Some have trouble staying asleep. Some people have trouble with both. On average, people are getting less quality sleep than ever before. I've always been a light sleeper as I think you get trained that way from waking up every morning nice and early when you're working a job. I always believed that I slept well and that I didn't need anything. In fact, I was originally hesitant to sponsor this product as I mentioned before. My wife reviewed all the ingredients and said they were top quality. So I said, okay, I'll do the test. More on that in a moment. Tackling sleep issues shouldn't feel impossible, but existing sleep aids aren't effective and make you groggy in the morning. That's why there's REMRISE. I love how deep my sleep is. I mean deep. And when I arise, I really wake up easier and more refreshed. I am really surprised by this. It's something you really need to try to discover for yourself. No more stumbling in the morning for coffee. REMRISE is a personalized sleep solution that uses natural plant-based formulas to help calm the mind, relax the body, and get your circadian rhythm back on track for a better, more restorative sleep. It's drug-free with no groggy side effects in the morning. All you have to do is go to getremrise.com slash D-U-R-S-O and take their free sleep quiz. I took the quiz and the sleep profile said I was tired and it recommended some supplements. I went ahead and I took the supplements and I discovered an amazing difference. My sleeps are so good. I just love it. Now do what I did and check out Remrise today. Go to getremrise.com slash D-U-R-S-O. Take your sleep quiz. And when you sign up, you'll get your first week of Remrise free. Just pay shipping. You won't find an offer like this anywhere else. Get your free week of Remrise for free when you sign up at getremrise.com slash D-U-R-S-O. GetRemRise.com slash D-U-R-S-O. I'll spell that G-E-T-R-E-M-R-I-S-E dot com slash D-U-R-S-O. All right, guys, check it out, sign up, and tell me how much you love it. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Let's see what we can learn today. Today's show is with J.G. Faherty, multi-award nominated horror author. At the end of this interview, I'll give you a summary of what I got out of this, and I'll share some pointers with you. Stay tuned for that. And now back to the chat with JG. You can sell a novella. There are publishers that specialize in novellas, which are, uh, for people who aren't aware, they're short novels, uh, like Frankenstein was a novella. Uh, Usually they're only about 100 pages or so, as opposed to 300 for a typical novel. And they don't sell well, you know, the, the big publishers in New York, they don't want to publish those because you don't make much money 
you can't put a, a high price tag on a 100-page novel, but a small press publisher can put those out and you can sell them. And in the ebook, you know, God, it's great because you can read one in a third the time that it takes to read a novel, but you're getting a full story. It's much more in-depth than a short story. So all of these different models for the business are allowing many more writers to have works put out there. And that's allowing horror to expand in a lot of different directions and attract new readers. If you go to any library, and I deal with libraries a lot, they'll tell you that after like the Harlequin romances and that type of romance, horror is the number one most popular genre with both adults and teenagers. Because they want that thrill. They all want to be afraid of something. They want to feel that fear. It's, I mean, that's part of it, but also because it's so complex. And again, we have to get away from the idea that horror is just, you know, Freddy Krueger or who's that, the guy with the, the clown face there. I forget his name. It's, it's more than just slashers and blood and guts. It can be subtle. It can be quiet, suspenseful. It can be romantic. You know, there's all different ways that horror can go. So there really is something for everybody. And people like a thrill. So you might not enjoy a thriller like a spy novel. You know, James Bond or some of the books by Ludlow or Mitchum or these kind of people. You might want something a little bit less realistic than that. You know, those novels tend to take place in the real world with political stuff going on and military and everything. Maybe you want a cozy little suspense novel of a haunted house, but you still want something that's going to keep you at the edge of your seat and thrill you. So horror can do that in different ways than some of the other genres. And I think that's really what it comes down to with people who read it. They want a thrill. They want that rush, that excitement, that little adrenaline burst. JG, as part of working in libraries, which you just mentioned, I know that you work with a lot of young readers. So what are you teaching them? Are you teaching them to write horror? Is this, the, is this part of the reason why it's exploding on the market these days? Or because I know you like to instruct and help young readers and help them get off on the right foot. So kind of take us through your methodology and how you help these young readers. I do it in several different ways. Locally, I go to um, a few of the libraries that we have in my area and I teach classes. Now, some of the classes are just basic writing. So, you know, if the library has their own teen writing program, I might come in as a guest speaker and say, okay, these are some of the tricks that we use to improve dialogue or to improve setting or to improve characterization. There are other libraries where I actually teach a four-week course on genre fiction writing. And it encompasses horror, fantasy, and science fiction. I use examples from all three for the lessons, but we cover all the main areas. Characterization, plotting, setting, dialogue, that sort of thing. And they get writing assignments. So if we talk about dialogue, I'll say, okay, go home, and next week you have to bring in a two-page written assignment about three characters having a conversation. Now, while I'll use examples that 
mostly come from science fiction or horror because that's my wheelhouse, I'll tell them, you don't have to necessarily write something scary. You don't have to write something uh, that involves a monster or a ghost or a serial killer. They might want to write something about rockets or they might want to write something about elves or they might want to write something just about three real people on a street. So whatever they want to write is fine. I just teach from what I know and my examples, you know, mostly deal with horror. And then on top of that, through the Horror Writers Association, which I'm a board member of, I run their library outreach program. And we have uh, nationwide programs that we run. uh, Like One is called Summer Scares, where we get some guest editors and guest authors and people from various library organizations to select some of their favorite books in the teen category, the middle grades category, the adult category. And then we promote those to libraries and we put on programming for them so that they can come in and learn about those books and then bring that to their patrons. So there's a lot of different ways that we can help people because the more people we get into libraries, we're helping them read We're introducing them to new authors, and they, in turn, keep the industry alive because if they like somebody, they're going to want the library or the bookstore to order more books from those people. And if the publishers see that horror authors are selling, then, well, hey, let's sign more horror authors to be published. So it gets more writers work, it gets more people reading, and it gets more people into libraries. So it's a win-win for everyone. It's a very good cause, and I like it. Even though I I write nonfiction, I absolutely love it because I also think it encourages more people to read because I see a dwindling in the reading level of society. So reading books helps bring back more education, more, more literacy in people. So I think that anything that does that is just fantastic. Yeah, it's really necessary. I mean, studies are showing that people... A lot of teenagers love to read. They love to read. But when they get out of college, the number of people that read drops 50%. People just stop. Understood. Yeah. Take us into writing a book. What's your writing process like when you start? Like, paint a little picture on this. I would imagine that my writing process is similar in some ways to many people and very different. I'll come up with an idea. And the first thing I do is jot it down like wherever I am because I have a terrible memory. So I have to write at least one or two sentences down in my phone, in a notebook, something just to remind myself about that idea later. And then I'll go back at some point and flesh that out to a paragraph or two. And if that still makes sense and it seems exciting, then I'll bring it, expand it a little bit to about a page and I'll say, okay, the hero has to do this. The villain has to do this. The monster has to do that. These kind of things have to happen for this to be the ending. And then if it makes sense, I'm like, okay, we can make a book out of this. So I'll sit down and write the first one or two chapters just off the top of my head, whatever comes out. And usually by that point, I start to get a little lost. So I say, okay, now it's time to stop and make an outline. So I'll outline everything that I want to happen during the novel and cut and paste those things together in the right order a few different times. Once that's set, then I can start working on the actual book. 
And all of that is fairly common to how writers work. Where I become different is that every day when I sit down at the computer, I don't know what I'm going to work on. I like to say, oh, I'm working on this novel today, and I'm going to keep working on that novel every day until it's done. But the truth is, sometimes I get sidetracked. I might come up with an idea for another novel, so I'll write three chapters on that, and then two weeks later go back to the first novel, or I get an idea for a short story, and I stop. So I'll have anywhere from 8 to 10 or 12 different projects going at any one time. And what that means is that some years I don't get a single book published, and then a year or two later I might have three come out because I finished them all. Um, Some years I have two or three novels and only one short story coming out. Another year it's one novel and ten short stories. So whatever creative burst I get that day, that's kind of the project I work on. Even if I want to work on something else, I have to kind of go where my mind takes me. And then once something is done, you put it away for a while, and then you come back to it and do the editing. I mean, that's the same for fiction or nonfiction. Yes, it is. JG, I understand how you kind of not fell into it, but you kind of went with the flow and it kind of evolved and evolved. And here you are, a very well-known horror writer, but you've stayed in horror despite it all. You keep writing horror. So there's got to be this underlying strong interest in horror because you're not like you didn't switch into science fiction or fantasy or anything. Your mainstay is horror. That's your wheelhouse, as you've mentioned. What's that strong interest? What else do you get out of this so much that just keeps you writing another horror novel after another one? I think it just really goes back to my childhood. I've always loved things that are scary. I've loved monsters. You know, we talked a little bit about all the different subgenres of horror where you can go anywhere from serial killers to science fiction. I've never been big either in what I like to read, what I like to watch, or what I like to write, on the whole serial killer thing. Some of my books do have some scenes that might have some blood and guts in them, but overall, the whole book isn't about someone going through town and chopping people up like Jason or Freddy Krueger. I don't write that kind of stuff, and those kind of books and movies, you know, as a teen, I loved them. Now they kind of bore me, because I don't find them scary. They're visually stimulating, I guess you could say, because there's blood and action. But I would never pay money to go see one of those at a movie house. I'll I'll wait till they come on TV. As a kid, and I know my memory doesn't go back from before kindergarten or anything, but my parents have told me I was watching The Twilight Zone and Star Trek and all these different kind of things, the Universal movies, Frankenstein, the werewolf, the wolfman, um, Dracula. I was watching all of that stuff on TV as a little kid. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues with J.G. Faherty, multi-award nominated horror author. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Pause for commercial and delete this. Hey guys, what if people would actually pay you for your advice? Sounds cool, huh? 
Well, I'm going to actually give you a free book to help you find your message, build your tribe, and change the world. Would that be cool? While I wrote the vision map, I'm going to give you free the awe-inspiring book, Expert Secrets, by Russell Brunson, which Robert Kiyosaki says is the map that will allow you to turn your specialized knowledge, talents, and abilities into a business that will work for you. This is one of the shortcuts of the new rich, end quote. I use ClickFunnels and I adore the product. I have never found anything so easy to use. I am a believer and I want to give you Russell's book for free. You just cover the shipping. You probably know I've interviewed Russell Brunson and Dave Woodward some time back. Great interviews indeed. You'll find them at TonyDURSO.com slash P-O-D. I've seen Russell and ClickFunnels grow and grow and grow into this amazing company. And the most spectacular part about it is the growing number of people that are actually helped by his company. He's made so many millionaires. You have to check it out. Go to TonyDURSO.com slash C-L-I-C-K and get your free copy of Expert Secrets sent to you in the mail. Really, Russell pays for the book and you cover the shipping. This book is going to help you to find your voice and give you the confidence to become a leader. Build a mass movement of people whose lives you can affect. Make this calling a career where people will pay you for your advice and other great stuff. Would that be cool or what? Yep, it's the real deal and will not last long. So get your free copy of Expert Secrets by Russell Brunson at TonyDURSO.com slash click. Tony Robbins, Kalen Poulin, Ben Wilson, Allison Prince, Justin Williams, and a ton of others are using Russell's system and loving it. Now it's time for you to do the same. Go ahead, check it out, put in your address as the physical book will be shipped to you and tell me how much you love it. That's TonyDURSO.com slash click. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Let's see what we can learn today. Today's show is with J.G. Faherty, multi-award-nominated horror author. At the end of this interview, I'll give you a summary of what I got out of this, and I'll share some pointers with you. Stay tuned for that. Throughout elementary, grade school, and high school, he read everything dark and scary he could get his hands on. From Poe, Shelley, and Stoker to Wellman, King, Straub, Wilson, and Kuntz, he made his first real attempt at writing horror while in college. But when that experiment failed miserably, he went another 15 years before trying his hand at fiction again. And now back to the chat with J.G. The first books I can remember reading were either books about dinosaurs, because I love dinosaurs, what little boy doesn't, and Edgar Allan Poe. And then, you know... Frankenstein, things like that. I devoured the Hardy Boys mysteries. And yes, they were mysteries, but they were all scary books to a little kid. And then I got into both horror and science fiction. I read you know, stuff by Jules Verne and I, you know, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I loved all that stuff. So by the time I was a teenager in the 70s, I was completely hooked. I loved reading horror. Every week I would go to the bookstore in college too. And I had to buy every horror book that came out, you know, then the paperbacks, paperbacks were king back then. Uh, So you could always count on three or four or five new ones coming out every week. And any dollar I had was spent on buying those books. I still have most of them. And so I've got shelves and shelves of books in my office and boxes of them in the attic. I've dabbled in other stuff. I mean, I read the James Bond books. I read 
a lot of science fiction in my teenage and early 20s, but it always came back to horror, horror, horror. Why? Yeah, I no, I was going to say, why? I can't explain it. Yeah, why? We want to know I, why. I don't know. I mean, where I grew up here, in, I'm in the Hudson Valley of New York, which is that stretch between New York City and Albany, and they call it the Haunted Hudson Valley. Dozens and dozens of ghost stories. You know, we had the Revolutionary War being fought here, so the Native American ghost stories right where I live, the county where I live is considered the UFO capital of New York for all of the sightings that they had in the 80s and 90s. So, I mean, I'm sure that played a role in it. On either side of my house growing up, um, you know, a couple of streets over, were cemeteries that went back to the Revolutionary War and even earlier. So I was surrounded by this stuff. But so were all my neighbors, and they didn't become horror writers. So there was something else going on. What is it? I don't know, but like Stephen King once was asked the same question, and he said, there's no explaining it. If you put four writers at the edge of a lake with a sunset, the guy who writes westerns will write a western about that scene. The guy who writes horror will write something about a monster coming out of the lake, and the guy that writes romance will write about two lovers sailing into the sunset in their boat. It's just whatever's in us. What are you looking to accomplish in the next few years? What's, what's your, let's call it your long-term objective? Um, well, I've got the two books that just came out this year. I've got another one that's on my editor's desk. We're waiting to do the edits on that, so that'll come out next year. I'm working on the next novel for my publisher, which is going to be sort of a combination of Lovecraft and Frankenstein set in the 1800s. After that, I have... God, at least seven or eight novels that I want to do. And, and they're outlined. They're sitting here in files on my desk waiting to be written. And, you know, really, it's just a matter of, of time. You have to sit down and write these. And I want to get them all out. You know, as time goes on and you get older, one of the things that, I mean, probably driving me more than anything else, more than awards, more than, you know, sales, more than anything is I've got all these ideas and I want to get them into print before I'm too old to do it. JG, what's your personal habit? What, what is it that you do that's your routine that you ensure that you do that helps you make this all come about? I function best with a routine. Some writers are okay just grabbing an hour here, an hour there at some point during the day and doing their writing. I like having sort of set times. So I get up in the morning and the first thing I do is take my dog for a walk. That is obviously necessary for the dog, but it also helps wake me up and clear my head. I come back and for the next hour to an hour and a half, I write. Whether it's I'm working on a novel or a short story, I just write. And then I have a day job. So after that, it's work. And then at the end of the day, I take the dog for another walk. I clear my head of everything that had to do with work for the day. And then I sit back down at the computer and I either write for another hour or an hour and a half, or I edit what I wrote earlier in the day, depending on you know which mood strikes me. And I keep going that way, going that way. On the weekends, I extend 
my morning writing from an hour and a half to about three hours, but I don't write in the evening. And you can get a lot of words written, you know, just with those few hours a day. I write in total silence. I'm not one of these people that likes to have music on when I'm writing. I can't have a TV in the background. I can't even have people talking around me. And I write at home. The only time I don't write at home is if we're on vacation, I'll bring a notebook with me and a pen. I don't write on a laptop ever. And I'll use that vacation time to just jot down ideas or outline something or work out problems that I'm having, but I don't actually physically work on whatever novel or short story might be back at home. That's very smart because if I take a, when I take a laptop on vacation, I'm on it too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, who wants to try and carry it through an airport? <laughs> exactly. Any great resources that you would like to share with our audience visionaries? We have a lot of entrepreneurs, small business owners, people that want to take their game to the next level or just starting off something. What resources do you think would be really good for them to have? Well, obviously, if they want to be writers, social media is important. And that includes Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Connect with other writers. It's just like any other business. You know, if you wanted to, uh, I don't know, start a restaurant, you would want to connect with other restaurateurs. And you would want to take classes. You would want to learn how to cook or learn how to be a restaurant manager. Uh, it's the same with writing. You need to connect with other people in the industry learn the ins and outs, and you don't have to become an expert, but at least have an idea of how to write a cover letter when you submit a piece of work to a publisher, how to look for an agent, how to make sure that you're sending your things to the right person. If a magazine only publishes science fiction, don't send them something about serial killers just because you like to read that magazine. They're not going to want your stuff. So it's, it's all about research and treating it like a job because it is. So you, you need to, you know, set it up like a business, work at it like it's a business. And in that respect, anything that applies to a business applies to being an independent writer because that's what you are. You're a contractor and you're working for publishers. So focus. Don't take it lightly have a plan in mind for what you want to accomplish, whether that's I need to write 500 words every day in order to finish my book by next January, whether it's I need to make a list of publishers so that I know who to send stuff to and who's open for submissions and who's not. And I think more than anything, and this probably applies to almost any business, be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, is be focused on what you're doing. You can't take anything lightly, but at the same time, you need to get a break from it. You need to have a life. And I would tell this to people who are stockbrokers. I would tell this to people who are writers. I would tell this to people who are in any job. At the end of the day, the workday is over. You're not going to be good at what you do if you're not also feeding your body and your mind. So exercise, get out, visit with friends and relatives, do things that you enjoy, have hobbies outside of what you do. You need to be 
taking care of yourself in order to do your best at what you do. Great advice and great resources. Once again, this is J.G. Faraday, multi-award nominated horror author. And you can find him at jgferity.com. Faraday is F-A-H-E-R-T-Y. jgferity.com. J.G., thank you so much for regaling us with all this. It's taken me to a whole new level. And yes, I now see why this is so important. I see how it's grown and grown and the value this has to society. So hats off to you on what you're doing. I hope you win many more awards. And I really look forward to more of your books coming out. I want to just thank you so much for this. Hey, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. To my visionary audience, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. And I really hope it was as inspiring for you as it was for me to do this interview. I learned so much. The insights are so valuable. How did you like this interview? J.G. Faherty, multi-award nominated horror author. I need to make another correction. Earlier in the interview, I said that I write nonfiction. It's true, but as you probably know from hearing other interviews and from knowing some of my books, I actually write fiction or better stated, I wrote fiction in the past and then I was told I couldn't write fiction because an author can't do both. So I have discontinued my fiction books and I'm not publishing any more of my fiction books and I'm just doing nonfiction. And so the story goes unless I come out with the pen name. So it is correct where I said earlier that I only write nonfiction, but now you know just to fully correct myself. And now back to the interview, JG said that while he started off just winging it, he began to form the vision and goal to do better, to be better the next year than the year before. Always do better. Always try better. Always push to do a little more. That is the start of great success that I see in so many elite entrepreneurs. That's a very workable end goal, to always get better at what you're doing. I do the same in that I always seek to make my interviews better and better. JG's purpose seems simple, but it is powerful. This goes to show that when you have the right reason for what you're doing, your purpose, it can really put you where you want to be. It's like the gasoline in your car. It helps you get to your destination. If your business isn't going as well as you'd like, perhaps you should go over your purpose once again. I wrote the vision map to help you tear this apart and get it right on point. It's a free download for you on my site. And on another point, I stand corrected when I said horror wasn't one of my interests. As JG pointed out, horror is really in a lot of the books and movies that we read and see, but they're not classified as such. He's right in that horror is the one genre that can encompass all others. Have you written a book or are considering writing a book? Whether it's fiction or nonfiction, there are some basics. I've known people who said they wish they could write or they wish someday to write a book. To them, I say, just take action. Just start. Start writing and let it flow from you. Just begin. As you go on, you can reform and reorganize it. But the process has to get started. So just begin. And you may amaze yourself at having a finished book sooner than you ever thought. Just start. JG gives his process for writing a book from the beginning. I recommend listening to that again after the 39-minute mark. There's so much more I got out of this interview. What did you get? I'd love to know how you use this information to help you in your business or career. Tell us, tell the world, you can tweet me at Tony, D-U-R-S-O. Now guys, I want you to grab hold of your vision, decide you're either going to start something great or take it to the next level. You have to decide first. It always starts with a decision. 
and you can get my vision map to help you along the process. The free ebook is at TonyDURSO.com. I created my empire in just a few years. That's all it took. I had the vision map as my guide. I wrote it up for you. You can do it too. And please follow me on social media. You can find most of those links on the homepage at TonyDURSO.com. And if you have iTunes or access to any Apple device, look up my name, Tony D-U-R-S-O, and subscribe to my show. A kind review there will get you tremendous appreciation back in return. Thanks, and remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 